As our days, so shall the strength be that the Lord provides, for his mercy is new every morning, is it not? Great is his faithfulness. The prophet Jeremiah is able to say that in the middle of the book of Lamentations. If the name of that book isn't clear, it is a lament. It is a lament of sadness to all of all that Jeremiah sees happening in his day as the city of Jerusalem falls and the people of God are carried off in exile and defeated. And he mourns, and yet he still sees the mercy of God. And if he can see it then, we, in light of Christ, can see it, ought to see it all the more clearly. Great is the faithfulness of our God. His mercy is new every morning. I'd encourage you to take your Bibles and open them up to 1 Timothy. And we're going to be looking at just a first couple of verses of 1 Timothy this morning as we begin a series on this book. This is Paul's letter to a servant, his friend, his partner in the gospel, Timothy. And Timothy is engaged in a work. And this book touches on things that we as a church need We as Christians need to be reminded of, and Christians in every age must be reminded of. So as we begin the study of the Word, before we begin the study of God's Word this morning, would you join me in a word of prayer? Father in heaven, we ask, O God, that you would help our hearts to find your Word this morning to be sweeter than honey, better than a honeycomb, to be more satisfied with it and less less and less satisfied with the voices that are raging for our attention. Let us listen and live this morning by your work, by the work of your Spirit. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. First Timothy touches on questions of leadership, and it begs us to ask the question, what do we see as good qualities for good leaders in our day? I'm sure there are lots of things that come into your mind when you think of what would be your ideal leader. If you could have a leader, and and just as you go to the mall or might go to the mall and, you know, go to build a bear to build a bear for your child or grandchild, if you could go to the mall and build your next leader, what would that leader look like? What would you put in him or her? What would you have there? Mountains of research and oceans of ink have been spilled on this very topic. What is a good leader? What are the qualities and attributes of a good leader? We think of the ability to communicate, to communicate well. We want someone who's got a friendly personality, maybe even a a dynamic personality, someone who is bold and courageous at times, but also tactful. We want someone who's emotionally stable, self-confident, maybe assertive, leader-like, a take-charge kind of person, but also someone who has integrity, Someone who does their work well, who will use their authority well. We don't want someone who is tyrannical, but we do want them to be warm and caring toward those around them, whether they are in business or in politics, in government, or at home. 
The list of good characteristics of what a good leader is go on and on and on. And the reality is there are some things that we will say here we want in a leader that other countries and other cultures and other societies are going to prize differently, order differently. We live in a day in which we need good leaders. We need good leaders who use their authority well, whether we are talking in government, in local or state, national. We need good leaders in business. Men and women who care about, yes, about the, 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 the good work that they are as a company trying to produce. We need good business leaders who care about being able to provide for their employees provide a good service. They need to care about the welfare of the community in which they are in, the nation in which they are in. We want good leaders not only in business and in government, but amongst our first responders, those who know how to use their authority well, and whether they are firemen or women or serve on the police force. They need wisdom, restraint, mercy, Those leaders in schools, we want them to be a certain way. We need good leaders over our schools. Whether we are talking Christian school or public school, even home school. This leads to the last category, but definitely not the least in importance. Possibly the most important for us is we need good leaders at home. Whatever authority we have been given in our house, we all have authority, and you'd use that authority well. We need good leaders in a church, in this church. Over the next year and two years and decade, we are going to make decisions as a church that relate to all sorts of things. Budgets and buildings, we're going to make decisions about who the next leaders are. And so we need to not only make decisions, but as one writer has put it, we need to make decisions about those who are going to be making those decisions. And key to all of this is answering the question, what do we expect of our leaders? What, what makes for a good and godly leader? We, in our country and in our time, we typically have some sort of suspicion towards those in authority. But through all the scriptures, authority is not a bad thing. It is a, it can be and is given by God to be a good thing, to serve. Too often we have seen in our world how authority is used in ways that are not good. Paul is concerned in this letter about the authority within a local church. And it's going, he's going to touch on this in a whole variety of ways. And so he, he writes to Timothy. We're going to look more at who he is. But there is a sense of urgency here. Three times in this letter, there is, Paul will deal significantly with those who have come in and they are teaching something that is not faithful to what we see in the Scriptures. Paul and the rest of the scriptures will call them false teachers teaching false doctrine. 
He deals three times in this six in this short letter, it's six chapters long, three times, lengthy times. It seems the fulfillment of what he said. This is the church in Ephesus where Timothy is at. It seems in fulfillment of what he said back in Acts chapter 20, verse 28 and 29, when Paul predicted that there was coming a day when wolves, false teachers, would enter into the church and lead people astray, dividing the church. Paul sees that happening in his day. And part of Paul's concern in this letter, a big major concern of Paul in this letter, is what will happen to God's people with authorities in God's people amongst churches, local churches, when there are no longer any apostles present. When he and the rest of the apostles have died off, how will authority be exercised within a local church? Paul is concerned about this. These threats are weighing heavily on his mind and heart, and they, we would do well to have them weigh on us as well, for us to share in his concern. And so as we examine Paul's open and public letter to Timothy, it is this need that we keep in mind. What is a good leader? And Paul, as he, in these opening verses gives us an example and gives us pictures of what this leadership looks like. We see this in himself, Paul, as he describes himself in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. He is an example of a man with authority over a church, over not just a church, but over churches. He is an apostle of Jesus Christ. Here he has this word apostle can mean either just simply one who is sent. And so in that sense, anybody who is sent from one church to another or is sent out, anybody could be related or called an apostle. But here he has a a specific use of that word in mind. That is, it is a, it is an office, a title, which he has. And he, along with only a select handful of people, have this title of an apostle. It is one who has been called by Jesus, selected by Jesus, taught and discipled by Jesus, by the living and resurrected Christ, and sent out by the living and resurrected Christ. That is who an apostle is. And apostles had particular authority. Whereas elders and pastors, they are given authority within a local church, some level of authority within a local church. An apostle had authority that expanded over many churches, over all churches. And we see that as Paul writes. He writes to churches in many regions. He writes to churches in different continents. He writes to churches as one who has authority. And here he writes to Timothy, who is himself not necessarily a a pastor, But he writes to Timothy, who is himself a a delegate of Paul in this church in Ephesus, carrying out some level of authority being delegated to him. And Paul, we see, uses this authority well. He, He sees that he is one who has been granted this measure of authority from Christ. As such, his word and teaching as an apostle is authoritative. It it is as if it comes from Christ. 
Paul's speaking as a representative, or to use his words, the word that he uses in his letters to Corinth, he is an ambassador, a special representative with a special level of authority. But not only is he a man with authority, he is a man under authority. It is fascinating to me that in all of Paul's letters, which he writes, he will describe himself as an apostle many times. And he might even, on one other occasion, he writes that he is an apostle by the will of God. But in this letter alone, does he say that I am an apostle of Jesus Christ by the command of God. That is unique to this letter. That word command is an interesting word that is, it carries the idea of a king who is ordering someone to accomplish and fulfill a certain task. Paul is viewing himself a man with authority, but he is a man under authority. He is, we might say, he is a man who is under orders. I know some of you have served in the military and you are rightfully proud of that service. I want you to remember back when you, you know, your, your pre-civilian days, when you were serving in the military, and what life looked like. You got up when you were ordered to. You ate when you were ordered to. You ran when you were ordered to. You, everything you did, you did when you were ordered, when you were allowed to. You lived where you were ordered to. And, and it is interesting that we still use when someone is describing the the transfer that has come through they will often say i am under orders that is a great translation here paul is like saying he is he is saying i am a man who is under orders under orders by god under orders of god paul is himself a man under authority this is exactly what we want our leaders within a church, within our homes, to understand. Whatever authority we have been given in in life, it is not our authority. It has been entrusted to us to do certain things. God leaders remember that they are not authorities in and of themselves, but that our authority is itself in submission to God. An officer within the military may himself give orders, will have to give orders, but the orders that he gives, he will give an account for to those who give him orders. Such is the way with we who follow Christ. There is no room for pride, for building up a personal kingdom or influence or authority. This is the way of humility, of conscience, conscious dependence on God, is it not? I am an apostle of Jesus Christ. But rather than being puffed up by that, he follows that up with under command, by the command of God. He is under, consciously, under the authority of God. More often than not, we are filled with frustration at the ones who have authority over us. Even the best of them are flawed often selfish, often acting with self-interest. But is there any one of us who would rather entrust ourselves to anyone different other than God? Is there any other one person 
that we would rather submit our lives to, our minds to, our hope to. We see this here. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the commandment of God, our Savior, and the Lord Jesus Christ, our hope. Here is this beautiful picture of who our God is. He is not only one who is in authority over us, here is one who is absolutely for us. He is our Savior, our rescuer, which implies that we must be rescued. That there is something from which we must be saved. Something for which we need deliverance. Deliverance from our sin. From our guilt that you and I, we have incurred before God. You and I, we, while we despise and get frustrated with the authorities over us, do we not also get despised, do, do not despise and get frustrated with ourselves? Do we not see our own weaknesses, our own failures, our own guilt? Do we not feel shame? Friend, there is an answer for that shame. There is an answer for that guilt. There is an answer for for that. And it comes through God, our Savior, and Christ, who is our hope. He is himself our hope, that we will be with him because of what he has done for us. God, in his mercy and in his grace, sending his son into the world. And though you and I could never meet even the lowest bar of worth and merit to to earn our salvation, yet God has lovingly sent his son And Christ, having come, comes and He lives righteously where you and I fail. He obeys where you and I sin and disobey and go our own way selfishly. He succeeds. And He succeeds all the way to the cross. All the way to His death where He bears the just wrath of God in the place of sinners so that all who hope in Him may find that He is their hope. He is the great longing and the great treasure of our souls. He is the great gift that stands for us. It is through Him that we find salvation, redemption, forgiveness and cleansing. This is the Gospel. This is the the kind of leadership that Paul is under here. He is a man who is, yes, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. I have this authority, but I myself am under the authority of God. And this is the kind of God whom I serve. One who has served me. Who has, through the blood of his own son, rescued me. So that now I cling to the hope that is found only in Christ. Oh, friend, I would urge you this morning to find to trust in Christ, to to turn from your own way, to turn from sin, repent and cling to Christ. You will not be disappointed. Through him there is salvation and forgiveness of sin. This is the kind of leadership that we ourselves need to look for in our churches, in this church, 
Leaders who self-consciously live under the authority of God. And our minds, our attitudes, our teaching, the way we exercise authority, all of it submitted to God. More than this, we want our leaders to reflect their hope, their confidence is not in themselves, not in their gifts, not in their abilities, but in God. That they live humbly, conscious of their own sin, their own need for forgiveness. We ought to look for leaders whose ultimate hope is in Christ Jesus. And this is the kind of authority that you and I need to strive to exert in whatever sphere God gives us authority in. Whether you are at work, leading people, shaping budgets, making repairs, building with your hands, crafting things, making phone calls in the service industry or having de- dealing with angry customers, whatever it may be that your job is to exercise authority in a way that honors God. And whether we are at home, Wiping dishes, wiping bottoms, wiping noses. There's a lot of wiping going on at home, isn't there? But in all of it, living as those who are under authority. Using that authority, whatever God has given us, for his glory, for his ends. Whatever role of authority we may have, from the authority of command to simply that of influence, we are shown what it looks like to live as people with authority, under God's authority, humbly dependent on God's saving power through Christ Jesus. This is what Paul displays for us in himself. And then we see in verse 2, he, he writes specifically to Timothy. Timothy is the one who has been called to answer this need in this church at this time. And Timothy is a fascinating character. He comes on the scene in the book of Acts. Paul meets with him in the cities of Derbe and Lystra. And there, Timothy is already, from what we gather, already a believer. His father is not a Christian. His mother and grandmother are, and they are the ones who disciple him. But Timothy is a faithful follower, even at a young age, and he is well thought of as a young man. We do not know how old he is. He must be at least in his middle to late teenage years, possibly early 20s. But Paul, in meeting with him, is impressed with him enough that he desires the church to allow him to to actually send him out with Paul. Timothy goes, accompanies Paul, and for many years, Timothy and Paul serve together. And you get the sense that Paul knows Timothy really well. And on some instances, in some ways, Timothy is an unlikely leader. This is a a church, the, the church in Ephesus at this time, is clearly a church in crisis. There are things that are going wrong, significantly wrong. There is a potential threat of of false teachers and false teaching and divisions within the church. There are all sorts of things that need to be addressed in this church. And Paul sends Timothy, and Timothy seems like an unlikely candidate for for this task. We find in 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 12 that Paul warns Timothy not to let anyone look down on him for his youth. Timothy was a young man. He was a young man in a time in which it was not um, 
good to be young. Now, he was young by their standards. In the time of Paul, you were not considered to reach manhood, full maturity, until you had reached the age of 40. Most think that he is somewhere, Timothy is somewhere possibly late 20s, most likely somewhere between 32, 33, and 38, somewhere in that range. He's young, young by their standards. And he is finding that his youth, his inexperience, is being held against him. Twice in Paul's letters, Paul writes to Timothy about his youth. In the context, in this context, Paul, Timothy would have found this to be a roadblock to, to his success. This would immediately meant that it would be difficult for the people in his church to respect him as the leader. And yet he's been placed here. I'll never forget when I first became pastor here. Not too many years ago. And Ida May, lovely Ida May Bruner, called me her boy pastor. That is a, a term of deep affection, Ida May. And indeed, I am not yet 40. So however you want to take that, that's great. But it was not, you know, in our day, that is a mark of churches increasingly want young pastors. In this day, they wanted older pastors, older leaders. This was a roadblock for him. More than this, Timothy was not just young, he appears to be timid, shy, needing encouragement. We find in 1 Corinthians 16, verses 10 to 11, Paul writes this, when Timothy comes, he's writing this to the church in Corinth, when Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him, help him on his way in peace, that he may return to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers. Put him at ease among, among you. And in 2 Timothy 1, 7 Paul feels the need to remind Timothy that God has not given him a spirit of fear, or we might translate that word better, a spirit of timidity, of shyness. Timothy seems to be a guy who has some insecurity. A young man who, who needed encouragement, lacked confidence, Not exactly the kind of person we're looking to put in leadership. And then Timothy, we are told in 1 Timothy 5.23. And Paul writes to him saying, No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. Clearly, Timothy's frequent ailments were significant enough and often enough that they in some way impaired his ministry and were so publicly wide known, or else Paul, I'm sure, wouldn't have put this in a letter in which it was meant to be read publicly. Clearly, Timothy isn't the most robustly healthy young man. 
There are a man with frequent ailments, a man with some insecurity problems, a man with inexperience and youth. This is not the kind of leader, if they were going to build a bear or build a leader in the ancient world, this is not who they would have looked for. And this is generally not what we would have looked for either. And the question is, why? Why would Paul put Timothy here? Is he just setting him up for failure? I mean, or is there something about Timothy? And if there is something about Timothy that commends himself, what could possibly be it? What could that possibly be? What we see is that man, Timothy is a man who is of a genuine and gritty, persistent faith in the Lord and faithfulness to the Lord. We see this in the way he describes him to Timothy a true or genuine son in the faith. Here he's not describing him as son in the faith as if Timothy was a a personal uh, convert of Paul. He is a true son in the faith in that Timothy, throughout his ministry and throughout the long years, the many years that he has served alongside Paul, He has shown himself to be faithful, not perfect, far from perfect, but faithful. A man whose life is headed in the right direction. We see this in Philippians chapter 2. Paul writes this, But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. Or 1 Corinthians 4.17, Paul gives the reason that he has sent Timothy is because Timothy was a living example of what it looked like to be a follower of Christ, just as Paul was. Humanly speaking, Timothy was the most unlikely of persons to be called to lead a church in crisis. And yet Paul is able to say that there is no one else who would be genuinely concerned for the spiritual welfare of those over whom Timothy is sent to care than Timothy is. While other leaders sought their own interest, Timothy sought the interest of Christ and God's people. Brothers and sisters, these are the kinds of leaders that churches need. These are the kinds of leaders that we need. When you consider who ought to be an elder or a pastor, it is this idea these truths that ought to be evident. Whatever human weaknesses we have, and we all have those weaknesses, the question is, are we displaying the steadfast spirit of gritty faith in Christ? Are we seeking the spiritual welfare of others? Are we seeking to follow after God's word and his ways? And we make as churches, massive mistakes when we put forward individuals as leaders who are self-confident and healthy and knowledgeable and what we think as driven and connected and wealthy and educated. Good communicators are dynamic personalities, but they lack they lack the humility. They lack the love of God's people lack a trajectory and of faithfulness in their lives. All of these requirements, all of these things that we look at and prize are so often meaningless and superficial. 
What we need as a church are individuals, are men whose aim it is to live faithfully and genuinely, those who follow after Jesus. Men, are you pursuing Jesus this way? Leaders are not made overnight, nor are they made by a vote. Leaders are made in private long before they are made in public. Are you following Jesus in this way? Are you a person who is not only have authority, whatever level that authority may be, are you a person who is submitting that authority to Christ? Are you a person who, whatever weaknesses you may have, conscious of those weaknesses, that you are seeking to follow Christ? And some of you, you may be so discouraged about the weaknesses that you have in your life. Physical ailments, personal limitations and time and other things. You may think, look, this is in my past, this is in my present. These are the things I could no longer, I could no, in no way serve God in this way. I could no longer exercise authority. I'm weak. I'm insecure. I have, I have needs. I need to be propped up. I, need, I could never do that. Friend, Timothy is an example of a man who had many weaknesses and yet followed the Lord because he was faithful. This isn't just, interest, this isn't just what we need for, for elders, deacons. We need this for all aspects. Whether you are serving in the nursery, whether you're serving as a Sunday school teacher, whether you are serving on the cleaning team, or music, or whether your level of authority extends only to the person that you are talking to and trying to encourage as you gather with God's people on Sunday morning. That is a level of authority that you and I are all responsible for. And we will one day give an account for. We need godly leaders, godly men, godly women who love the Lord. Skilled, gifted, able, absolutely. But I'm far more interested, and the Lord is far more interested in those who are humble, who are under his authority, who are faithful. Pursue Christ. And then we see at the very end there the supply, the sufficient supply for all of us who seek the Lord. God supplies all that we need to do all that he commands one of the ways that some of our older saints here have encouraged me, and I, I have to say as a young pastor, this has been a wonderful church to pastor. I've been helped, encouraged in my preaching, in my teaching, in my conversation in so many ways. One of those ways has been through some of our older saints who will remind me from time to time, especially when things weigh heavy on my heart. They will remind me saying, God gives what, he gives the grace that you will need for every day, for every task. And that is true for each one of us. There are going to be questions, there are going to be situations in which you find yourself as you're seeking to follow the Lord that are above your intellectual pay grade, so to speak, that you do not have the wisdom for, the knowledge for, the experience for. But the Lord supplies grace. 
And through weak instruments like us, God is glorified. We see that here. Grace. What, what does Timothy need for this ministry? And what does this church need for its leaders? And what do all of us need? Grace, mercy, and peace. Grace, that undeserved favor from God that flows through Jesus Christ. And it comes from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Peace, this is the state of wholeness and absolute stability and harmony that we have with God as a result of the work of Christ Jesus. But in all of Paul's letters, all of all 13 letters, Paul, he will often use grace and peace, grace and peace, grace and peace. But only in his two letters to Timothy does Paul say grace, mercy, and peace. I think mercy is something that Timothy felt an especial need for. Not merely mercy of God's undeserved kindness, but mercy in the sense of God's help for those who are weak and the stumbling. God's compassionate love that he has on those who are daily conscious of our own weakness before him. That is the mercy that Timothy needed. It is, a tem- it is the mercy that you and I are going to need every single day. It is the mercy that you can pray for our missionaries and elders and pastors to, to, to have and to experience. There is always another call, always another visit, always another, always another person to serve and care. There is never enough time in the day to do the studies that are required, to, to minister to the people that are required. You're going to find yourself as missionaries and elders and pastors are going to find themselves. You're going to find yourself, if you're seeking to follow the Lord, called on at times of day and at night that are going to be vastly inconvenient for you and for which you're going to need the grace of God to answer questions that you, you can't even begin to fathom. The temptation for leaders is to, out of their own strength, out of their own success, to find their own justification. And Paul reminds us that we live in light of the mercy, the compassionate mercy of God. Paul knows the weight of the calling that is going to fall on Timothy's shoulder here. And so he reminds him, Grace, mercy, and peace. They don't come from a church in which everything is good. They don't come from situations and circumstances in life when everything is is great. They come from God. Grace, mercy, and peace. They come from the Lord. Brothers and sisters, We need leaders like this, leaders who live under the authority of God, who aim to faithfully pursue Jesus, whatever weaknesses they may have, living in conscious dependence upon the mercy of God. This is what we need ourselves, not only leaders, but we need this for ourselves. And isn't this exactly what we see our Savior perfectly demonstrating in his life? Is there anyone who had more authority than him? 
Is there anyone who, who used and gave up that authority of many aspects so that he might come and becoming one of us to serve us? Though true God becoming true man and hanging upon the cross for sins he did not commit, he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Oh, look to Christ this morning. Look to him, not only as our example, but as our Savior, as your Savior. Look to him as your hope. Look and follow after Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, oh Lord, you are one whose authority knows no bounds. And we have too often spurned that authority. And yet you have shown yourself merciful and gracious to us. You have not given us immediately what we deserve, but you have in your grace shown undeserved kindness to us. Father, I pray that you would help us to grow in godliness, that we may exercise authority in the areas that you have given us in ways that honor you. And more than this, oh Father, I pray that in the years ahead that we would commit ourselves to seeking the kinds of authority that honor you. Raise up more and more leaders. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.